And so we might say this is an experience of the void. You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we work to make sense of the borderlands of digital media, culture, politics, and memes. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is memeticist Dr. Jamie Cohen. Today, we welcome All Tech is Human founder, TikTok Content Advisory Council member, international speaker, and writer, David Ryan Polgar. Polgar explores how he's connecting the dots between individuals, industries, and universities to help build the responsible tech pipeline. Polgar explains how we can create a diverse, inclusive, and healthy tech ecosystem to help tackle the thorniest issues facing us today. From Section 230 to the storming of the U.S. Capitol, there is nothing outside of the reach of digital tech, and it's up to us humans to help create a responsible tech future. Make sure to subscribe to Digital Void on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform now. Hey, David, how are you? Hey, how's it going, Jamie? I'm doing all right. I'm holding in there. I mean, that's that's a very loaded question in, in 2021, right? How are you? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot we can unpack there. And the oh our gosh, podcast. we could spend our podcast talking about how are you? <laughs> I always think I should always couch that too. I used to say, how are you? And then I say, uh, all things considered, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because we're it, balancing it, it, that. <laughs> it is, it is such, such the case, you know, it's like all these stories growing up as a kid, when you, when you were talking. To an older individual who had history with like the the Great Depression, right? And you're thinking, wow, like I can't imagine something so so drastic. Well, here we are. Maybe this is, this is our Great Depression. I mean, it really, I think it's as significant. Well, I'm glad to ha- we're glad to have you here today because it's not just a pandemic that we're in, but we're also in like this this very different, unprecedented change in communication technologies. We in, are yeah. in in uh, usage of these technologies where we're at this borderlands between utility and corporation. And Mm -hmm. that's why we wanted to talk to you about it. Cause I think there's some hot button issues that I want to talk about with this. And I I just want to get an expert's perspective from not just uh, an actual like expert and attorney, but somebody who's a tech ethicist. And I I just want to like, I I think it's important for our our audience to hear from somebody who kind of really understands ethics. I think that's the thing that we're we're short of, we're very short on, I think, when we're talking about people who are using it and probably exploiting a lot of this tech. Um, So I think just on the broadest possible scale, let's start there with like, when we talk about ethics in tech, what are we talking about? I think the connective tissue is that we're focused on how do we build a better tech future? And oftentimes when we talk about ethics, sometimes, unfortunately, it can take us down a, a rabbit hole where we can get in these very academic conversations. But if you really step back and, and see what people are talking about, it's very similar to any conversation we've had about considering other people's uh, notions of, of fairness, uh, what they consider is, is right and wrong and what's, what's applicable. And when we uh, put that on top of what's happening with tech, uh, the technology that we're developing and deploying today has such a drastic impact on how we live our lives. It's affecting the human condition. It affects how I and anybody else gets their news, therefore their sense of reality. It, it affects even what we're, we're doing and going about our, our lives, right? So that's drastic. And, and I think it, it helps to step back and say, what we're living through right now is a major fundamental shift. 
And we're realizing the kind of immense power of tech to alter our very existence. And that's a big deal. And we need to stop and put a period after that. That's a big deal. And the reason why, Jamie, that tech ethics becomes a major part of the equation is that there's a concern, and I would share this concern, that oftentimes the people who are developing and deploying these emerging technologies are not considered enough of the impact it has on communities, especially marginalized communities. And that's why all of these seemingly different movements are actually interrelated because right now there's there's a tremendous amount of, of pushback to say we need more diversity, let's say, in the tech industry. The reason why that's important is because Oftentimes we have our own biases, right? And and we might be self-selected inside of a group. And the concern would be that most of the technology that affects the globe at large is not only made in one country in the world, but one state in the in the country in the world. And more so than that, one portion of one state in one country affecting the entire world. That's a that's a tremendous, a tremendous big deal that we need to unpack and also and also say well wait if if so many people are altered by technology then they deserve a means to participate in this so i always like to think about it uh kind of like the boston tea party right uh no no taxation without representation this this concept that if you're going to have your existence altered then it needs to be part of a better form of participation with saying well if it's if it's not something inconsequential, right? So even though we still classify tech companies as a, in most of the cases, as a private business, when we normally think of a private business, the reason why they have so much freedom is because you as a consumer, right, can choose what you want to do and choose to, to either visit a, a business or not visit it. it. It doesn't have such a drastic impact. And usually um, the more business has a dramatic impact, on your life, the more that it's going to be regulated. For example, that's why utilities have a a lot of regulation around them. That's why the banking industry has a lot of regulation around them, because it can have such a drastic impact on our lives. And right now, uh, that's the way that the the tech industry is, is that it's kind of a shapeshifter in that, hey, wait a minute, well, we're, we're a private company. Well, yes. However, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way? Or does it mean that we as a society can't come up with better tools to uh, comprehend this and to actually approach these issues? And I, and I think if we also take, take a step back and say, what are we struggling with in 2021? The connective tissue that, that I see with a lot of these movements and problems, especially around something that, that you, you know, you're an expert in with like memes and QAnon and these terrible things that are happening. The relationship I see is that life has become incredibly complicated in 2021, right? There, there's, no, there's no simple solutions. And oftentimes we we desire a simple solution, right? And the very uh, appeal sometimes of a conspiracy might be this idea that it offers some simplicity of, oh, okay, well, it's a cabal that's controlling all all the problems that are happening. Therefore, I can understand it. As opposed to if we look at that, at all the problems that, that are happening right now, it's really it's really complex because we can say, well, it's, it's about how we developing technology. But 
now it's also again against the backdrop of racism. Now we have to approach that and we have to say, well, who are the people who are developing this? Well, then how do we affect the pipeline? Wait, the pipeline is is really influenced by universities. Well, how do you change universities that are not usually quick to change, right? So you start peeling at all these layers of, of this onion, right? And tech ethics and, and, and all the problems that we're, fa- uh, that, that we're faced with, with uh, merging technology and social media is an onion as opposed to a flat you know, it's not, it's not a, a problem we can put on a paper, you know, a piece of paper and just say, oh, okay, I've got the, I've got the solution, right? So that's why even uh, one of the reports that we're working on at the organization I run, All Tech is Human, which is an organization that's focused on building the responsible tech pipeline. Uh, our idea behind that is we can improve the, f- the future of tech by changing the people who are involved in, in building that, right? And we want that to be more diverse, more ta- multidisciplinary and aligned with the public interest. And the reason why we called our, our latest uh, report improving social media as opposed to fixing social media is because it's too uh, large of a statement to say that it's going to be fixed because social media also deals with issues around speech. So, our issues around speech, well, they're never actually solved. What what we do as a society is try to come up with solutions that uh, satisfy the most amount of people and do the least amount of harm, right? So we're, you take something like speech. I mean, we're always disagreeing about what's appropriate, and we're going to continue to do that. Well, to build off that, from a legal standpoint, I, I mm-hmm. like to use – first, I love the term you use about um, the onion. You know, it's like that – I think another way of saying that and something that people – now recognize, even though that some people are belligerently against it, is that that's what the, like when you're saying that you mean systemic, Yes, like, that's yeah. what it means. It's literally a systemic issue. Mm-hmm. I, every so often I just like to look at maps, like I'm, I'm big uh, into maps and like data tracking and everything. And occasionally I just take a look at Silicon Valley from a map and realize it's, it's such a small region in the United States. And it's not even the central Valley. It's a, it's a tiny value Valley off of it. And it always makes you think, wow, that is, that's everything. Like that's, Almost half the human race is connected via technologies that come from that little small space. And when you look at that and you look at the United States and you realize, oh my gosh, that's that close to the coast, we realize we're we're really exclusive. It's an yeah. it's a fairly exclusive space for that. And one of the things that I'm always thinking about too is that okay, so if you're gonna fix that, you do need the systemic operation to to correct that. And mm-hmm. to me, that's like, okay, so that's that's where an ethicist has to come in and has to really kind of figure out where to fix that type of work. All right. So building back off of that, um, because I actually want to talk about your report because that's I think is super important. Um, and I love the term improving because we, you and I spoke about this and I'm sure, and I I'm, I'm excited for this improving social media report because I think that's something that people aren't just going to have to read is in terms of like, Oh, we have evidence of a, of a particular time, but actually something in which we can create a group think about the future. And I, I want to get a sense of like, what was, where was the, I, I know be, beside your absolute love and your desire to make sure that this is working properly, what was the impetus to desire to put together this improving social media report? Where yeah. who's supposed to read it? Where's it going? The report that we have for improving social media, the people, organizations, and ideas for building a better tech future, uh, we're aiming at specifically at policymakers and 
tech platforms. In addition, it's also going to inform the responsible tech community at large. And one of the things I was was thinking about is that what I'm doing with All Tech is Human is actually a three-step process. And it's something maybe I should have uh, ex- explained more when, uh, when it launched in 2018, but it's always been based on a longer process of change uh, or kind of method of change. And the three steps are, first, we need to build the underlying knowledge base. Because one of the things we notice, especially after the launch of our uh, kind of first ethical tech summit that we held in Manhattan, and we kind of expanded those and had them in a few different cities uh, the next year, is that there's such a diverse group of people who are so passionate and, and also, mm-hmm. you know, really talented, but oftentimes are not sharing their knowledge. And that's terrible for actually trying to tackle thorny social technical issues because we're not building on each other's work. And one of the things I've noticed since I've been in the space for a bunch of years is that people are constantly reinventing the wheel, right? I would talk to one person who's doing some amazing project and then they thought they were the only person doing it, right? And then I talked to another person who's doing the same thing. I'm thinking, why don't you two know each other? Why don't you two collaborate? Right. So the first part about what we're trying to do with all tech is human at large and then specifically with the release of this report on improving social media is we're trying to promote this knowledge sharing collaboration because the underlying knowledge base, which is made of researchers, academics, advocates and activists, that actually informs all the different power nodes that are going to alter how tech is developed and deployed. And these power nodes are things like users, tech platforms, advertisers, news media, policymakers, funders, right? So you actually have a lot of these power nodes. Okay, so that's the first part. We can improve the vibrancy of this underlying knowledge base. So so that's going to be what powers the entire system. And then you, you take that and you say, well, I need to create pathways into actually taking the great work that's being done from the knowledge base and making sure that it gets to all those power sources. It gets to the policymakers. It gets to the news media. It gets to tech workers. It goes over to platforms. It informs this. And I know from, from your experience in a university setting, we, we all know that oftentimes, even though there's amazing work that's being done at a university setting, it oftentimes doesn't have a nice pathway to inform policymakers, to inform news media, right? Uh, that's, a, that's an issue. So one of the things that we're working on, and which is why we're bringing together such a diverse range of people across civil society, government, and industry, is because we're actually creating this connective tissue to say knowledge base, better connection, better gateways to these power sources. So that's the second part. And the third part, the last part, is you create better sources of interconnection between all of these different power nodes. Because one of the other issues that happens, especially around improving social media, is that we're always looking for one culprit. We're always looking for one solution. So I've been involved in this space with, with you know, uh, improving social media for a while before All Tech is Human. I co-founded something called the Digital Citizenship Summit, held a big event at Twitter headquarters. So been in this space. And one of the things I've, I've noticed is that when you're talking about improving social media, people like to look for one solution. They say, oh, wait, so, so is the problem, is it, is it all about Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey? 
or then they say, well, wait, wait, maybe it's all about media literacy. Maybe we need to better educate them. So let's, let's change, you know, let's create these media literacy laws. Oh, no, wait, you know what? Maybe it's all about the design of a platform. Maybe it's about the attention economy. Maybe, like, we, we come up with one area, whereas the actual answer is it's, it's letter E, all of the above. So it's all of the above. You, you need to tackle the education, but also the design and also the responsibility and also the oversight. So when we were looking at this, because we have a hundred collaborators that's incredible. Are working on this. Yeah. So we, we get an amazing interest level of people who want to build this. I mean, it shows the, the amount of interest in, in responsible tech movement right now. But one of the things we, we notice is that it actually falls under three different categories of how we're even trying to approach social media, right? You have prevention, intervention, and reinvention. I mean, you, you can see I like to come up with terms that are that are easy to remember, right? Yeah. <laughs> so prevention, uh, intervention, and reinvention. So even the very approach to social media, uh, you know, has so many different parts to it because you talk about one side, which is like, okay, well, we need to focus on media literacy and education or, or meme literacy, especially after everything that, that's been going on, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge part. Yeah. But that also needs to go alongside with, hey, it's not just about making sure that, that our citizens are media literate. Why don't we actually improve the underlying information ecosystem to make it easier to be to be media literate, right? Oh, so speaking yeah, right yeah, to it, my heart. It has yeah. to be a, a <laughs> comprehensive approach. And and what I've seen is that people like to always have things in like buckets. So they like to say, okay, well let's just put this in the media literacy bucket and like check your sources. Well guess what? That's important, but it'll be a lot easier if you actually alter the friction level of how people post to a platform. And then within that, you think about the content moderation. And then within that, you think about how an algorithm changes the information ecosystem. And then it goes back to the filtration through uh, uh, an end user, right? Who is also informing the very system by putting it back into the information ecosystem or not. Right. So there's so many different parts of it. And I think what people are going to respond to with this improving social media report is we try to visually break that down and create frameworks. So even with the idea of an information ecosystem, we came up with this this concept of saying, well, it actually goes through these four different sources of filtration of you initially have to put something into the system. It goes through a source of content moderation. It's filtered or amplified oftentimes through an, through an algorithm. And then it has this last part where it filters back through an end user, right? Who, who now you need to uh, have more media literate. So those, those four different parts, I mean, these are complex issues. That's why, that's why it's not just one type of person. That's exactly why we need to have more diversity and multidisciplinary and people that are naturally aligned with the public interest or ethically aligned, if you will. That's why this is, this is crucial is that these are not tech issues. If there's, if there's a line that I would love to repeat, it's that the reason why uh, I named the organization All Tech is Human is that we need to reassert our agency over these issues, right? Our, our tech future is not just uh, magically falling out of the sky, right? These tools are not just like created from the heavens. They're, they're created by, by you and I and our, and our neighbors. And, and, and those people are restricted by what we as a society determine is appropriate, right? Things don't happen to us. So the very idea of all tech is human is something that should, should focus on our agency as, 
as humans to determine our fate and determine our history and to decide what is an ideal future. And and I think that's going to be actually the, the toughest part is one, one of the things that I discovered, and I'm sure, you know, you've thought about this as well, is that when we look at improving social media, one of the reasons why it's hard, and I say this too from a lot of conversations that, that I have with people who work at larger platforms, and I currently have a role on TikTok's Content Advisory Council. Yeah, I'm uh, so glad you're part of yeah. that. Thank you. And uh, one of the things that that we noticed is that one of the reasons why it's such a struggle is because you cannot have a roadmap to improving social media unless you have an an ideal destination in mind. So when we were exploring these these issues, yeah, it, it was it was actually kind of tricky because of course. Facebook and Twitter are, are kind of like, uh, you know, in a, in a very confusing kind of manner. And sometimes their decisions seem all over the place, right? And we're saying, what's Jack Dorsey going to do now, right? And the reason why it's all over the place is because we as a society haven't necessarily put out a strong, unified, or at least kind of majoritarian type of, type of signal to say, this is what we want Twitter to be, right? This is, this is ideal. So, so when we're looking at those ideal futures, even there, we broke that down into four different parts to say, okay, one of them is, is that it's going to be, you know, more content moderation, you know, safer for, for more people, better information ecosystem. The other side would be more like, the parlor side, which would say, no, wait, that's, that's, uh, we want this more libertarian type of paradise. The, the web was originally supposed to be, you know, hands off approach. It's 25th anniversary of the cyberspace manifesto, right? And, and so that's, that's one part. And then, a, and then a third part would be, wait a minute, this should be more private. So we need to go to tools like, like Telegram. And then the fourth one be, Hey, no, this should all be, you know, more blockchain based or this should be more decentralized. And guess what? There's there's downsides to all of those. So there's actually no perfect solution. And this is why there's no fixing social media. There's only improving social media, because if all of a sudden we went, for example, if we said, hey, let's all go to Telegram, you know, get off of WhatsApp, go to Telegram. Well, then I also hear from people who tackle very tough issues about, you know, very problematic, sexualized, uh, abusive content. And they're not excited about everybody going to Telegram because guess where, guess where a lot of the bad actors go? They go to these places. Guess where a lot of the uh, white nationalists are going, right? They're going to, to private uh, communication sources, right? So it's, it's very difficult because there's not a, a perfect solution with with social media and with the platforms we create. Yeah, thank you. That's amazing that you say that because this is there's a lot to cover in that. Like that's so a couple things that come to mind and always makes me think about the way that we operate with social media because uh, we often take speech and our rights for granted because we've never had the technology in order to kind of pressure those systems. We we've, we've always just assumed they operate because the structures kind of evolve slowly. They kind of appear. So when you have like a system like radio, it was called the term was called wireless for decades because they didn't have the term for radio until another technology came that helped define its technology. And then a new technology evolves and coexists with the original technology. So then it was wireless, then radio, then radio and television, and then television and cable. And then all of a sudden, social media, which is distinct, and it's a, a born of the web, like you said, the John Par Perry Barlow's like manifesto, like in the 90s. And that was the web. He was speaking about like a, a networked solution for communication that was really a libertarian state. But there, at that time, 
even if he thought of social media, he, I doubt he could have imagined social media in the form of what Facebook has become at that time, which in its brief 16, 17 year experience has become not only the way that some governments actually operate, they operate using Facebook, but they also are uh, like what some people would say is locked in. They, they, the structures in which they developed them, they didn't first, they didn't, I remember this, there was a thing we did um, at NISCA for a few years, which was like that. And I I used to do this with my students, which was media blackout. It was just kind of like, how do you know how much you take internet for granted if you just use it all the time? So we used to do like, all right, 24 hours without the internet and we do our best. And as years went on, at the beginning of it, it was really difficult for students to do it. And now they're just like, oh, thank you for the opportunity for the break. But the the funny thing was, is when the students reflected on it, oftentimes students would say, remember, we as young people are sharing with people who are adults who all were introduced to the internet at the exact same time. They were all introduced at the same moment, depending on whatever age. And their second quote they always said was, and there was never a rules given to us. We were never given a guide of how to operate it. We just sort of were there. It was there and we we defined its platform, we defined its purpose. But in that space, as you as we now know, what's ended up happening is that the limits of rules, rules being things that keep us in an operating system that keep us from like just chaos, but the limits of like regulation rules, use, behavior, social reality, social fabric, all those things are intention at this point. And it's very, I think it's really important what you do because even the opportunity just read about it, I think is what people have to start accessing. People have to start just learning sort of like what you would like, what you were mentioning about meme literacies. Those aren't really just making you like, oh, okay, now I get how Doge works. No, it's really about why Doge works, like what those things do. So I actually want to talk to you because I I know your background is so like, you're, you're not just into tech, but you understand like you have the legal standpoint, you understand these rules. So two part question. One, why are we still using rules that come from the 90s? <laughs> and, two, and two, Section 230 happens to be this very big hot topic moment, but nobody, well, you and I do, we, we understand how it operates. But why is it something that people use as, a, as, as almost like a, as a cudgel rather than this idea of like, let's understand it first and discuss it? Because I know one of the things about 230 is that if if Section 230 were a regulation for the internet or was repealed, platforms would then become their editorial or become their publications, and they'd have responsibility, and Trump would have been gone in 2013. <laughs> so, so it's really like, why are we kept legally illiterate as well? Like, why are we kept out of that? And why are we only use them in terms? And where can we start getting empowered and gaining our agency within that? Well, this is where it actually goes back to the three parts that was it was discussing with the, the knowledge base, tying that into the power nodes, and then having a collective action within the power nodes to alter and improve social media. And in Section 230 is a perfect example of that in terms of its literacy around it, because now all of a sudden it's a hot issue. But guess what? It's been around, like I said, from the Communications Decency Act in 1996. So it's been around for a very long period of time. And as all these issues were coming out around social media, for my own personal example, I always remember discussing this with with reporters and they, they would always say, well, What's Section 230? And then I would, you know, explain it and say, well, this is this actually is part of the conversation and really impacts how platforms interact. And it's something that we should really kind of discuss a little more. 
But what would always end up happening is those parts wouldn't be in the media report. What's very interesting about it is when you look at some of these experts in Section 230, well, they've been beating this drum to say, okay, well, we need to have a more thorough conversation. Like the most consequential law affecting social media was written before Google was founded and it was written well before the, the founding of Facebook. So social media is impactful, yet we don't have a massive update around this to, to conceive of it. And I think even to your point about now, a lot of misunderstanding around, oh, well, then let's just get rid of Section 230 and then everything's fine. That goes to what I was also talking about, how we're still grabbing for simple solutions because solving and working to solve some of these problems to make it a better future and to change the, the status quo is going to be very similar to us, you know, trying to like pass laws and build bridges and change infrastructure. And like those are difficult things, right? Those are part of a political process. And that's where social media actually is, is going. I like to say that, you know, we're entering this point of like social media democracy. So one of the, the problems is that it's not just about saying, oh, well, you know, we changed Section 230 and then everything's fine. No, it's it's about saying, well, how do we bring to the table people who understand the likely futures that what would happen in this case? Because as you kind of point out, it's actually social media companies uh, after Citizens United that have this First Amendment right of speech. So it's actually not the, not the user. And that, you know, under the constitution, our, our first amendment, right, is talking about what the government can or cannot do. It's not referring to a private actor. And that's why uh, a business can, can uh, kick somebody out of the restaurant. Let's say if they didn't like them, they they thought they were unruly. However, obviously where it gets complicated is that we still make a lot of exceptions around this. Uh, for example, there's there's kind of a relationship between where social media is headed and how we treat discrimination against gay individuals with restaurants. Or there was a, like a famous case dealing with a uh, gay marriage and a cake, right? There was an individual who didn't want to make a cake for a gay couple. And then there was a, a, a lawsuit about it. And really what that kind of dealt with is, okay, on one hand, we're saying that it's a business, therefore they have their private right. But on the other hand, we as a society have to determine, well, you know, how do we want this business to act? What would be a line too far? And that's where social media is. What I'm getting at with that is that we're going to start evolving our impression of social media and where it is on this on this kind of spectrum. So I'm always viewing social media as this in-between status. It's almost like quasi, quasi-governmental. And that's why I always mention kind of the um, example of, of malls, because like a mall is like a, it's an in-between status of saying, well, it's not a public square, right? But it, but it's not, even though it's private, you have a heightened expectation of it being a public gathering spot. Therefore, how a a mall can enforce limitations around speech uh, has to be different than a restaurant might be able to be, right? Because of the expectation. So that's where we are right now with social media. And that's why it's also good to, to have a very a transdisciplinary approach to this because all of these topics are, are related. And the problem that, that comes up over and over, and I say this because 
running Altec as Human, I'm interacting with, with so many different individuals from all different backgrounds. And oftentimes what really frustrates me is somebody will say, hey, I want to get involved. I, I really want to want to be in the responsible tech space. But but you know what? Like I'm a philosophy major or I'm a sociologist. I'm a psychologist. So I don't know. Like, do how can I, how can I get in the tech industry? So the very idea of tech as a term, it sometimes seems very... I don't want to say standoffish, but it but it prevents people from thinking that they're welcome in this space because they because they say, well, I don't I don't know how to code, I don't have the technical side. Whereas what we're talking about, especially with social media, it's about human behavior, and that's why uh, in a relatively recent New York Times interview with Jack Dorsey, he mentioned, hey, if he had to do this all over again, that he would have hired a game theorist, right? And there's big push towards social media. You know what social media really needs? They they really need like the, the soft sciences. You know, they they need people who understand human behavior because social media is all about structures. It's all about human behavior. And it would boggle the mind to, to think that you're not including those people. And the big change, though, is, is I will say these companies obviously do hire you know, uh, philosophers and psychologists and sociologists, they do, but it's typically has been done on more of a reactionary basis. Even if you back up a few years, there was this incident that happened that got a bunch of media attention uh, around Facebook. And it dealt with a situation where a father's uh, daughter had just died and how, how they were thinking about uh, photos in their kind of like, Hey, when do we kind of like say, Hey, this, this is something you posted a year ago here. You want to see it? It obviously, wasn't considerate of, I don't want to see my daughter who just passed away. And it got a lot of, uh, you know, attention to say, well, oh, this isn't just about the technical side of just saying this person posted this six months ago. Let's just show them the, the picture because you're you're altering somebody's very existence. Like you're, you're affecting them on a very emotional level. And therefore, you need to not not just think of this in a technical side because you're not dealing with widgets. If you're creating a widget, it's being used by humans. Therefore, y- you need to have somebody who's also cognizant of the effect on that that human right and and that was that was a big lesson for for Facebook at the time and that's why they had their quote-unquote compassion team uh, that where they that's what they call it since evolved but but the idea behind that is oh wait a minute we're, we're connecting people but guess what a lot of people people die and people break up so so if somebody dies what what happens to their account oh wait a minute maybe we need a legacy account right maybe we need something oh people are using them as memorials like uh, you know there's there's crazy stuff that um, that social media is affecting us right in, in these these ways, and it's just a recognition that this isn't something that is in a bucket, right? Social media is not just oh, it's just social media, right? No, that's it's it's pervasive on our entire existence, and I think that's why the the January sixth attack on the Capitol has been such a jarring moment. In American history, because it almost seemed like, oh, this is what happens when when we don't put enough attention on the information ecosystem. Like, oh, this isn't just like crazy conspiracy theorists. This is everybody, and it's not just everybody, but it's but it's also physical because we we still have a tendency, uh, as you, as you know, to to somehow segregate in our minds the the digital and the physical, whereas they're one and the same, right? And and now they're they're it's manifesting and. As much as sometimes you can say, wow, these issues seem overwhelming. 
overwhelming because they're complex. Uh, I'm, I'm always heartened by the fact that there's people who are just waiting on the sidelines and they're saying, I want to be part of this. But here's the here's the kicker is that we don't actually have a great solution right now. And this is, you know, what, what we're trying to work on with All Tickets Human. We don't have a great solution to actually insert these new voices and these new talents and these these disciplines into the process because we're we're still basing it on the traditional tech pipeline, right? Of here's the discipline that you would have and here, here's how you get hired. And that's what I think needs to change is that I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to who are, are just sometimes like frustrated by the fact that they're reading all these articles, they're attending, attending a conference and they're just like, I want to get involved. But, but we actually... As much as, you know, there's there's all these great organizations, there hasn't necessarily been a ton of focus on, okay, how do I take that interested individual and come up with pathways to say, if this is a nascent space, well, guess what? There needs to be entry-level positions. There needs to be fellowships. There needs to be training. There needs to be certifications, right? There, there's a lot that, that needs to change. And what we've kind of noticed is that uh, we're operating as this connective tissue between these interested individuals. They're very diverse, coming about all different backgrounds. And then you have these universities, which are, are all of a sudden like, we need to get into tech ethics. But guess what? They actually usually don't know where to, to send these individuals. So they're just focused on, hey, we're educating them. And that's also, as you as you well know, is like a university system never wants to be seen as like too vocational. So they're just saying, okay, well, we're going to send that over to somebody else. So we're, we're connecting with those universities. And then you have have industry who are saying, wait a minute, we need these responsible tech uh, technologists and, and others who can think deeply about these issues and be more cognizant about downstream effects and unintended consequences and, and how we need to think about it. And all those three usually don't connect. So what we've been trying to build and, and all really my life's work is to say, if we can connect those dots, then all of a sudden we can, we can really bring people together to tackle these thorny issues. One of the things that I think you brought up is that we as a society never really understood the cumulative effects. And what you've described in this bit is how this is cumulative. All of what you described is that everything that is social media is everything all at once. And we don't really see its outcome or its effects until all of a sudden it's literally all over our news. And we actually see something that is so incredibly apparent that we have no choice but to think about it. So to leave it on a, a bit of a high note there and to, to give you the credit of how much work you're doing is aren't we fortunate in a way that you're doing this, that we're not doing this 10 years from now, that you're taking the, the step at this moment to really get this information out there and get people to understand this. But also the thing that I, that again, kindred spirits here is because I taught intro to new media and new media studies to every major. And a lot of students would be like, wow, I can't believe I've never learned these things and I'm interested in tech, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm an English major. I'm like, that's excellent. And then that's perfect. That is exactly what you should be doing because your interest and your curiosity is what makes you important to the field, not your degree. It's who you are. You bring you to the tech industry. And that is something that I think one of the most important things your, your guide is doing, what All Tech is Human is doing, is informing educators, informing everybody that it isn't supposed to be exclusive. It's only exclusive because that's what it's doing. Yes. And one thing I would, I'd love to tack on there is that the reason why this kind of ecosystem mapping is, is important is because we need to democratize this information. It shouldn't just be random like, hey, I just happened to get, uh, you know, I happened to get Jamie on the phone and he knows a lot about the space. Therefore, he's helping me out. That's how a lot of times 
times this has been working. That's completely, uh, one, it's not fair, but two, it's just not a not very uh, efficient system, right? So one of the reasons why we put out our responsible tech guide and we're doing a major, major uh revision and, and like big exciting launch that that we'll be able to announce soon for the fall. The reason why that is important is because you need to actually see this representation. You need to understand the roles that are being done. You need to understand the organizations that you can get involved in, right? And one of the things that that I just got a kick out of is that I would, you know, have all these conversations with people and then we would see it in these kind of interviews that we we're doing. And there was such a common thread because all of these individuals who are involved in responsible tech, they would always say something akin to, well, I have a very nonlinear career path. I have a very unusual background because it combines X, Y, and Z. It combines all these different disciplines. But but guess what? Most everybody involved in the space thought they were unusual, thought they had a unique career path because it, was, it wasn't straight like, hey, you know, I got a CS degree and then there you go. And, and then I kind of moved on. That was important to showcase because then to everybody who is, is, is reading this, they say, well, yeah, you're right. It's about the, it's about the, these knowledge sources that I can bring and ability to tackle these difficult problems. And there's people like me that are that are there. Therefore, that creates a, a, a kind of a, a positive effect where more of those individuals feel uh, empowered to, to to have that as a as a career path. It's, it's it's really important. And frankly, it was really overlooked. I was surprised that uh, you know there hadn't been something similar. To, to the responsible tech guide. And, and frankly, I think that's the, the major change we're going through is that these are not single bucket issues that that all of a sudden, uh, you know, we, we've got very complicated issues to, to deal with. And that's why we actually need all of these different opinions brought to the same table. And, and I will say like that was something that, uh, especially from people that I was trying to convince, like funders to grow as a nonprofit and all that kind of stuff, that's what it's always been a struggle with because... Because they would say, well, what type of person, you know, is this for? And uh, guess what? You know, it's democracy. So it's, it's got to be all of us because we're all living in the future that is, that is impacted by tech. Therefore, we should all be in the future that creates that tech, right? How do people get involved with this? What's the way to find you? What's your ads? What's your... Great ways. We'd love to have, uh, have you involved, right? If you're listening to this, uh, obviously, I love the work that Digital Void is, is doing. And that's why, you know, I'm thrilled to be on the, on the show. Great ways. You reach out to us at alltechishuman.org. We also recently started a Slack group that, that anybody can just sign up for. And that's a great way to discuss with other people going through the same trajectory that you might be going through. We're discussing responsible tech careers, getting involved in projects. We just started a, a reading group. We're doing different pods. And then anytime we try to do a report, great way to, to collaborate there. And then on a personal level, uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, at tech ethicist. You can also find me, uh, for whatever reason, I tend to spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So if you're listening, yeah, just uh, reach out on LinkedIn as well. Just just tell me why you're reaching out. Uh, tell me you're listening to Digital Void. And uh, yeah, let's, let's connect because we need everybody. Like I said, no matter what your background is, social media impacts every aspect. It's the Roji Biv, right? It's the, it goes, it goes through the entire rainbow. And, and, and that's what we need. We need the Roji Biv of uh, responsible technologists on this. Oh, thank you so much. Really, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. 
Thank you to David for joining us on the Digital Void podcast. To learn more about Digital Void and to find show notes of today's episode and all previous conversations, you can visit us on the web at digitalvoid.media. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll be back next week.